Well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Great to have you with us here today. If you're a guest with us, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's great to have you worshiping with us here this morning. Uh, before we uh, get any farther, I've got one quick announcement. So yesterday we had our missions fundraising dinner. We do that once a year to, to help fund mission efforts here to send uh, you guys on mission trips. You're missionaries. We want to send you off on short-term trips, and that um, helps us do that. And so yesterday we, uh, I think, raised around $4,000. So congratulations. Thank you so much for that. That is a lot of chicken. A lot of chicken. But thank you so much for your help with that. We really, really appreciate it. Um, so as we, as we jump in today, worshiping and spending time together in the Word, I want to read for us John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So just listen as Jesus speaks over us, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I want you to notice a few things about this. Number one, Jesus' desire is that you be free. Let that truth resonate. Jesus desires you to be free. Free from what? All the things. Right? Free from sin, free from shame, free from guilt, free from condemnation, free from you. Maybe the, the one person you need to really get freedom from is yourself. Jesus desires for you to walk in true, legitimate freedom. And it tells us how that freedom comes. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As we allow the truth of God's word to become foundational in our hearts, this is how we're set free from truth. Many of us, and this is where our, our sermon is going to be focused in on today, many of us are allowing lies to drive us, or we're allowing our activity, our works, trying to make ourselves better. If I just do this, if I just do that, if I just make this better, stop doing this thing, start doing that thing, we try to let that fix us. But the Bible says, no, if you allow God's word, the truth, to be foundational in your life, that truth will bear fruit and set you free. We want the lies that we've been believing to be plucked out the seed of truth of God's word to be planted. And then eventually, as that truth is watered, the fruit of good works is going to bear out. And you're going to be set free and walk in that freedom. That's what we want for you. So I want to encourage you. Um, stand up, if you will, guys. We're going to worship here in just a moment. Go ahead and stand. I want to pray over us. So, Lord, I, God, I ask you today, Lord, I pray... I pray freedom over us, God. I pray, God, that your truth sets us free today. God, in just a moment, we're going to be singing songs. I pray, God, that we will not just mouth words on the screen, but these will be truths that resonate in our hearts, that you are great and you are glorious, that you are far above all other things, and that we will set our hearts on you, and we desire you and love you and pursue you above all else. I pray, God, this truth is foundational in us. 
I pray, God, today, let us see you for who you are. Jesus, I pray you'll be lifted up and made much of. I pray that your truth, we will abide in it, we will live in it, we will dwell with it. We won't just read it or say that we know it, but it will become embedded into our souls and be the foundation on which we build our lives. And then from that, we will be set free. I pray we won't see your word as simply just a list of rules to follow, but I pray, God, we would see your word as the proclamation of who you are. And as we see you for who you are, we're going to be set free and changed. Do this in us, Lord God. Do this in us. We need you. We need you. We love you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Church, you have a reason to sing for those that believe you have been set free. Let's celebrate the work of Christ in our hearts. He is worthy. Let's sing. We've waited for this day. We've gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory. Oh, 
God's word says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I love that church. Because it points to the truth that there is nothing that we bring to Christ. And for those that believe when you come to salvation by faith in Christ alone, there's nothing that you lack, you know? You, 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 don't, have to, you don't have to pray for patience. You don't have to pray for peace. You don't have to pray for the spiritual power to worship because it is already placed within you. And so what that means, as Pastor Brad is talking about today, is you and I, we need to stop striving and just rest in Christ. Just look and see. I love how Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Going to church is, is necessary. Reading Scripture is essential. Fellowship with believers and with those that don't believe, it's critical. But nothing brings you to salvation but faith in Christ, in Christ alone. And so I want to encourage you in these truths that that should free you from all of the other religious activities that we do. And we do them now because we genuinely want to, you know. And I get to pray. I get to read my scripture. I get to lead our children we get to worship because Christ has enabled us to do so. So I want to continue to sing how great is our God. And I just ask you just to, just to taste and see that he is good today.
involved with Trunk or Treat out of uh, desire to um, reach the people in our community. We saw the potential uh, to reach a lot more people this way. Uh, generally, Southview reaches about 2,000 people when we do the Trunk or Treat on site, which is incredible. Um, at our home last time, we were able to minister to approximately 500 people. Um, and if just a few families within the church are willing to step up and um, open their driveway, their, their front yard, their home, um, for Halloween, uh, it just has the potential to go above and beyond and reach well into Cumberland County. And I would say that um, as successful as the event on the church grounds was, that funneling the, the 2,000 people through one site, uh, it felt a little rushed and very impersonal. You didn't have time to actually uh, spend time in conversation with any of the guests. And doing it at, at home, it's still a lot of people, 500 people, but you do get the opportunity to be one-on-one -on -one and intentional uh, with folks as they come through. Um, we've had opportunities to pray with folks. Um, we have a prayer request board that, uh, that folks have come back later on and said that uh, the prayer request they had the year before was answered and had a new prayer request they would write the next year. Um, so uh, just the, the, the personal touch that happened at your home uh, really does make a big difference. Well, we are so excited this year. Uh, so one of the things that we do here at Southview uh, is we take Halloween and we use that as an opportunity for outreach. So that's what that video was about. So what we do is we ask you to be willing to set up your home 
as basically an outpost, as, as, as a lighthouse in your neighborhood. Halloween is the one night a year. Everyone in your neighborhood is going to come to your house and knock on your door. And so we thought, what better opportunity for us to meet our neighbors, proclaim the gospel, and build relationships, minister to people. You, you saw one of the things in the video with uh, prayer requests. And so we do this at our house as well. We, we set up our house as one of these uh, stations, one of these lighthouses. And, and we have a prayer board, and we say, hey, can we pray for you anything? So um, two years ago, I think it was, we had a lady come through and say, can we pray for you? She said, yeah, as a matter of fact. My husband's deployed currently. Um, she said, and they had some really unique family things going on uh, and uh, some difficulties. And she said, I, I, I really need my, my husband to come home. Like, things are, are not good. I really need him to come home. Um, but he's, he's not scheduled to come home for several months. And so can you, can you just pray? And so we just prayed, God, they, let him come home. And, and, and so, um, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen and all of that. And we came home. We went off. And then uh, the next day we come home. And there's a note on our door saying, so you're not going to believe this, right? But uh, my husband's on a plane on the way home right now. So, um, so God just answered that. And so, uh, and so it's amazing how God does this. This is an opportunity for you and I to really connect with our neighbors. Um, the, the vision for Southview Baptist Church and making an impact in our community in Fayetteville, Cumberland County, uh, Hope Mills, beyond, the, the, the way that we're going to do that is by each of us owning where we live, owning where we work, owning where we go to school as a missionary. And this is kind of a step towards that. So we really encourage you to be a part of that. And, and I know that Halloween can be a controversial thing for Christians. Some of you, uh, you, you hate Halloween, right? You just despise it. Um, you, uh, you don't let your kids uh, dress up. You don't hand out candy. You don't watch just the great pumpkin Charlie Brown, right? Nothing. Just nothing. Um, and I get it. Um, I, uh, I, look, it's a little bit of ministry background for me. Um, we've um, ministered to um, uh, legitimate witches, right? Um, not like the fake ones on Hocus Pocus 2, but like the real ones, um, and, and we've seen actual demonic manifestations from these people who have given themselves to witchcraft. Just crazy, crazy things. Look, I, I, I don't believe any of that stuff should be uh, tampered with. I don't think any of that stuff is cute and funny. I don't think any of that stuff is not that big of a deal. I think all of those things, horoscopes and Ouija boards and, and uh, white magic and crystals, I think all that should go back to hell where it came from. Like We're not a fan of that at all. all right? um, but here's the thing. The six-year-old dressed like a princess coming to your door is not thinking any of that. They just want candy, right? So let's give them candy and, uh, and, and encourage them and meet mom and dad and build relationships there. So um, if you'd like to be a part of that, next Sunday, uh, October 9th, after the 11 o'clock service in the FLC, um, we're going to have an opportunity for you to hear more about it, ask questions, Figure out what you need, and we're going to get you everything. We're going to get you candy. We're going to get you hot dogs. We'll get you a tent. We'll get you um, material to hand out. All the things we want to help provide for you if you'll be willing to just open up your home and be, uh, be a, um, a lighthouse station for us. If you're willing to do that next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service, you can come be a part of that and hear more about it and see what's going on. All right. Hey, if you got a Bible, let's find Titus chapter 1, all right? 
Titus chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. We're working our way through the book of Titus together. Um, and, and I want you to take a look at the screen. I want you to see the title of this series. So Titus, obviously. And then the subtitle underneath. Gospel thinking for gospel living. This is the point of Titus. Um, the book of Titus is very practical. Starting next week in Titus chapter 2, we're going to get into um, the, the meat of this. And starting in chapter 2 and on in chapter 3, it's going to be telling you a lot. Do this and stop doing that. Right? It is extraordinarily practical, the book of Titus. Here's how Christians should live. Um, in the three small chapters of the book of Titus, six times... In three chapters, it's going to talk about you needing to live in good works. Good works, good works, good works, good works, good works, good works. Live a certain way. right? Titus is abundantly clear on this. There is a way Christians should live. right? That is unambiguous. It's going to be very clearly spelled out as we jump in to the rest of the book in the weeks to come. However, here's what I want you to notice, and this is what's foundational for all of it. Think about this. Titus is one of the Apostle Paul's smaller books. It's just three chapters. But he takes the entire first chapter, one-third of the whole book, a book that's about you living a certain way, a book that's about you doing certain things, extraordinarily practical. He takes a book that's about action, and he takes the first third of that book And all he focuses on is what you believe, who your pastors are, and what they should be teaching you. Here's why. How you think about God and what you believe about God is what determines how you actually live. Does that make sense? How you think about God and what you genuinely believe about God, that is what determines the actions in which you you live. What, What messes us up is we jump over the thinking and believing part and go straight to the action, right? Here's a thing that I'm doing I shouldn't do, so i got to figure out a way to stop doing it. Or here's a thing that I need to do and I'm not doing, so I've got to figure out a way to make sure I start doing it, right? We jump over the mind, we jump over the heart, we jump over thinking rightly about God and believing rightly about God. We jump over those things and go straight to what do I need to do, right? Which is all of us, right? We're... It's the, it, it is the air I breathe just as a man. Tell me how to fix it, right? Here's a problem. Fix said problem. Right? Every man, thanks to YouTube, every man thinks they should have their own show on DIY, or DIY right? Like, I could fix anything. And your wife was like, no, you really can't. Oh, I, I got YouTube. I totally can. And we, we then put that into the spiritual world. I can fix anything, right? Just, I need to stop doing this and start doing that. And and what we're going to see in the book of Titus, specifically today, is there's a group of people in the church who are pushing this idea. They're pushing this idea of, here's the thing you need to do. Do the thing. If you do this thing, then everything in your life is going to work out fine. Right? They skip over the thinking, they skip over the believing, they skip over knowing who God truly is, they skip over all of that and jump straight to the thing you need to do. And if you do the thing, everything's going to work out. Now the thing for them is circumcision. Right? Not an issue for us today. 
I don't think many Baptist churches are splitting over that one. If they are, I don't want to be a part of it anyway, right? I think I'm good. So while that's not the specific issue, I want you to hear this. The lie that drives that is still very much alive today. This lie that, again, you can skip over how you think about God and skip over what you believe about God. You can skip over your mind. You can skip over your heart and jump straight to your actions. Right? You skip the mind. You skip the heart. Go straight to your body. What do I need to do? Tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. Tell me what to stop doing. Tell me what to start doing. Tell me how to do the thing, and I'm going to go do the thing. We jump over the mind and heart, go straight to the actions of the body, and it doesn't work. Like, it legitimately doesn't work. It just frustrates us. It, it, it makes us feel even worse. When you jump over the mind and the heart and go straight to the hands, and go straight to the body, and straight what I can do, tell, tell me how to do this, tell me how not to do that, it only results in one of two things. Pride or despair. It either results in, maybe you're super type A. Like, maybe you are, I got friends of mine that uh, compete in triathlons, right? And so they're triathletes, and I don't know if you realize this, but the word triathlete comes from a Greek word that means crazy person. <laughs> and so these triathletes, they're just, the amount of discipline they have is off the charts, right? I mean, like, I'm hanging out with the buddies. Like, I got to go home and go to bed. I'm like, dude, it's 730. He's like, I know, but I got to get up at 3 because I got to get a 100-mile bike in in the morning. Why? Like, is something chasing you? So maybe you are hyper-disciplined guy. Like, you just eat, sleep, and breathe structure. And you're able to manipulate your body pretty doggone well. Like, you control a lot of your environment, and you are hyper-disciplined. But oftentimes what that results in is a whole lot of pride because you're judging everybody else who aren't as disciplined as you. Right? Well, just get your life together. Get your act together. Just do it like I do it. Or you're not able to discipline yourself well, and it ends up in despair because you're just sad and frustrated that you want to fix it. You want to be better. You want to do the thing, but you just can't make yourself do it. So it either ends up with you being prideful or you being in absolute despair because you think you're a hopeless case. I can't ever get it right. I can't ever fix myself. I can't ever stop doing this. I can't ever start doing that. And what the book of Titus is going to say is this. Look, the issue isn't so much your hands, what you're doing with your body, what you're doing with your life. You need to start doing this or start doing that. That's true. There are certain things that you need to stop doing. Certain things you need to start doing. That's true. But the foundation that will allow you to be able to do those things is in thinking rightly about God and believing truly about God. And if that is set as foundation, now you're able to begin to bear the fruit of good works. If the seed of truth, of who God is, is planted in your heart, and that seed is watered with the truth of God's word, the the fruit of good works is going to bear out. Now, for these party of circumcision, these Judaizers in, in Titus chapter 1, going after circumcision, again, that's not what we do, but we go after it in many other ways. And the Bible would call this the flesh. The flesh is not just like flesh and bone, but the flesh is, is, 
is anything that you're doing in your own strength to try to make yourself better or to get you closer to God, right? Anything that you're doing in your own strength, your own ability, your own thinking, your own intellect, your own power, your own drive, your own passion, your own desires, anything that you're doing in yourself, it's the flesh. And in John chapter 6, Jesus says, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Let that verse sink into you. John 6, 63, Jesus says, your flesh can't help you. It can't help you. Forget it. That's why the Bible describes Christianity as dying to yourself. You come to the realization that you can't fix you. Your flesh can't help you. You have to die to that. Understanding that it's the Spirit and the Spirit alone who can truly give you life. So in Titus chapter 1, what we're going to see is, again, there's this group of people that are trying to get those in the church to focus on the flesh. Just do this, do this. Again, for them it's circumcision, but we're going to go beyond that specific act to the bigger thing. Focusing on your flesh, focusing on you, focusing on your ability to start something or stop something or do this or make yourself better. And what I want you to see as we unpack this is exactly what Jesus said in John 6, 63. Your flesh is no help at all. Step one to you actually getting free. Step one to you actually growing in the faith. Step one to you actually bearing fruit of good work is realizing Your flesh can't do it. Your flesh can't work it out. Your flesh can't manipulate it. It isn't going to work. So Titus chapter 1, pick it up in verse 10. And and let's just kind of unpack this just for a moment. Here are these false teachers, these Judaizers, the circumcision party. And they're pushing circumcision. Do this act and it's going to make your life better. Do this act and God will love you. Do this act and you'll be a mature Christian. Do this act and that's the path to real deepness. Do this, then everything's going to work out. But it's falling apart, just like it does in all of our lives as well. And so as we see this, we see some three or four truths that need to be settled in our hearts about how much the flesh is truly no help at all. So Titus chapter 1, verse 10. First thing you're going to see is that focusing on the flesh never delivers what it promises. Verse 10 For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Again, it's talking about those religious legalists, circumcision party who said, do this act and it's going to make you better. But here's the problem with with, with what's happening here. Verse 10 says, it didn't even make them better. Right? They're still insubordinate. They're still rebellious. They're still hard-hearted. They're still running from God. It says they're empty talkers and deceivers. They're con men. They're promising, do this, and it's going to make your life better. And it's just empty talk. It's just unfulfilled promises. It doesn't actually fix anything. It doesn't actually make you better. And we've, we've seen this and experienced this. Listen, if, if you've tried to make your life better, you know there are things that you thought were going to work and they just did diets. I'll just say that word. 
promises that you thought were going to be fulfilled. I mean, look at the before and after. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. I'm not nearly as bad as there before. Surely it's going to work for me. So then you get all in, and it doesn't work. So the problem is you need to find the better diet. Right? You just keep going after it and going after it and going after it, and it doesn't actually fix anything. Promises that are not fulfilled. Focusing on the flesh promises it's going to make you better. Just redouble your efforts. Just try harder. Just attend a church. Just, just find another Bible study. Just do, just do these things. It's going to make you better. And it doesn't make you better. It doesn't actually fix anything. Focusing on the flesh promises if you just be good, if you just obey the rules, if you just act right, then all these things are going to happen. God's going to bless you, and bad things won't happen, and the devil's going to stay away from you, and blah, blah, blah. And none of that works. The flesh promises things that it can't deliver because the flesh is no help at all. Next, focusing on the flesh causes... Division, it causes conflict. Look at verse 11. They must be silenced. He's telling them they need to be a little, these, these false teachers who are saying, just, just focus on the flesh. Do this thing, do this thing. They need to be muzzled. Tell them to shut up. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Okay, let's think about this just for a second. Let's unpack it. So imagine you live on the island of Crete in the first century. A guy named the Apostle Paul came by and he told you about Jesus, you and your wife, you and your husband, you all and your kids. You're like, yes, that's it. I want to trust my faith in Jesus. You give your life to Jesus. And after you do that, though, life is still hard. Marriage is still hard. Your kids are still crazy. Like nothing's... Give your life to Jesus. It's got a great plan for your life. It's going to work out great. So then you gave your life to Jesus and it didn't work out great. Like you're still struggling, and your marriage is still struggling, and your kids are still struggling, and there's still sin in your life that you want to be set free from, but it's still a struggle. Like all these things are, are happening. So you're living on Crete, and you're there with your husband, your wife, and your kids, and you're sitting around the dinner table, and you're trying to figure this thing out. You want to follow God. You want to love God. You want to serve God, but it's hard. And, and then this Bible teacher comes by and says, well, here's the problem, guys. The problem is, guys... You haven't been circumcised. You just get circumcised. Your marriage is going to get better. Your kids will be better. Life will be better. Sin won't be a struggle for you anymore. The problem is God has these things up here he wants for you, but you're not doing this thing, so it's, it's, it's capping you. You do that thing, and then you're going to be set free to be able to do all the stuff. So now that false teacher leaves, and the husband and wife are sitting at the kitchen table. And the wife looks at the husband and says, well, there we go. That's the problem. You just need to go get circumcised. And the husband says, easy for you to say. There's, there's no door number two at all here? Like, that's it? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love you, and I love the kids, and I love Jesus, and I want to follow all that. But really? And so you can see how this false teaching completely causes families to be flipped upside down, right? 
It, it, it brings struggle and strife. Well, the reason is you're not doing that thing. If you did that thing, then everything would be fine. You're not doing this enough. You're not doing that enough. You're not being obedient enough. You're not submitted enough. If you did the things, then our family would be better. And it's causing all of this to be flipped. You can see this in churches. Churches divide over oftentimes works of the flesh. Music style and dress style. And what version of the Bible the pastor is going to preach from. And all, right, these these outside issues works of the flesh well if you just did it like this then you'd be holy and then you'd be godly and then lord would bless our church and then we would grow the reason we're not is you're not doing those things and it causes whole churches to be turned upside down when you focus on the flesh again all it does is result in either pride or despair and those are horrible things for relationships yeah you ever tried to be in a relationship with someone that was filled with pride? That ain't easy. You ever tried to be in a relationship with someone that's filled with despair? That's not easy either. And it brings strife and conflict and division and splits and schisms. Focusing on the flesh. Focusing on the flesh only brings conflict. It keeps on going. Verse 12. Focusing on the flesh doesn't hide who you truly are. Verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So he's quoting here um, a 6th century B.C. Um, poet by the name of Epimenides, who is from Crete. And so it's like, so let's be honest. I know you guys. Um, here's who you really are. Liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And I love the Apostle Paul. He throws a little shot in there, verse 13. And this testimony is true. Right? It's like, I've been around you. You are. It's true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the command of people who turn them away from the truth. Focusing on the flesh doesn't actually change who you are. At their heart, they were rebels against God. At their heart, they hated God. At their heart, they exalted themselves. They were selfish and prideful and lazy. At their very heart, that's who they were. And simply doing this religious act wasn't going to change any of that. It doesn't change who you truly are on the inside. Some of you are here today in an attempt to try to, to, to find peace with God. And we're so glad that you're here, but I want you to hear me. You sitting in this room by itself doesn't do that. But our prayer for you today is that in sitting in this room, you will hear the truth that will set you free. The truth is that Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again because he wants to change you from the inside out. He doesn't just want you fixing your actions and not doing bad things and start doing good things. He wants you to be different from the inside out. He wants to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and make you new. And as he does that, your actions will follow. Your actions will follow. Which brings to the last idea. Focusing on the flesh doesn't really fix the root problem. There is a deeper problem that needs to be handled. Verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. 
They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You look at that verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. What they're saying is this. There's no amount of external good you can do to actually change your heart. Right? There's, there, there are no good works you can do. There are no good things you can do. You can't go to church enough. You can't read the Bible enough. You can't go to enough Bible studies. You can't, you can't do enough to change your heart. The issue is you need a heart change. And focusing on the flesh doesn't fix the real problem. Simply trying harder and being better and redoubling your efforts doesn't actually fix anything. Jesus said, the flesh is no help at all. It doesn't actually fix you. It doesn't change your bigger root problem. It just causes conflict and division. It promises something that it can't deliver. So what do we do? How do we change? Again, Jesus says, John 6, 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So we've been talking about that that flesh is no help at all, but look at that first part. It is the Spirit who gives life. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says it this way, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Let that verse sink in just for a moment. You have two options in front of you. Life and death. Life and peace or death. And look at that verse. What's the one thing that determines where you land on that? Death or life. How do you determine that? Where you set your mind. It is not about your actions. It is about your mind. It is not about your hands. It is about your mind and your heart. Are you thinking rightly about God? And do you believe truly, truth about God? For the mind that's set on the flesh just leads to more flesh and death. Think about this when you drive home. You're driving down the road. If you kind of look off to the right or whatever, you look off to the side and you keep staring off to the side, but you're driving, eventually what do you do when you're driving? You, you veer where you're looking, correct? It's the same thing spiritually. You veer the direction you're looking. The mindset on the flesh will only lead to more flesh and ultimately death. This is why you focusing so much on your sin and trying to stop your sin doesn't actually stop you from sinning. Have you noticed this? This is the dirty little secret of church. You focusing so hard to stop sinning just makes you sin more. Right? It doesn't actually change anything. It was the mind set on the flesh just spirals into more flesh. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Here's the idea. Not just changing the action, but what is the underlying truth that drives it? So often... We see things in our life that need to change, right? So you see, all right, I need to read my Bible more, right? I need to pray more. I need to share my faith more. I need to be involved in church more. I need to forgive that person who sinned against me, right? We see things that we need to do. But what we often do, like Titus 1, those guys did, we jump past the mind and the heart and we go straight to the action. How do I make myself do that better? 
Right? I see a thing I need to do, or I see a thing I need to stop doing, so we jump straight into, how do I fix that problem? How do I fix that? Right? So, I don't read the Bible enough, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my phone, I'm going to download the Bible app, and I'm going to set my notifications so that it'll send me an alert at a certain time every morning, and when it sends the alert, I'll open the phone, I'll see the verse, I'll read the verse, that's how I get the Bible in me. That's what I'm going to do. Or, we'll even do this in churches. Right? You need to share your faith more. So we'll create goofy programs and gimmicks to try to get you to invite your friends to church. Right? Like, we're going to pack a pew, and whoever brings the most people gets to put a pie in the pastor's face. And there's nothing wrong with the Bible app. I have the Bible app on my phone. I have my notification set. It sends me a verse every day. And in fact, my son and I use that. We Talk about that verse in the three and a half minutes taking him to school every morning, right? So that's a, that's a tool that can be used. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with churches creating programs and, and incentives and ideas to try to encourage you to share your faith and invite your friends. There's nothing wrong with that. We do some of that here. We're not going to do the whole pie thing. That's a horrible idea. But there, I'm not saying that there's something innately wrong with those tools. What I'm saying is this. So often we focus on that and we try to put all of our energy and effort on figuring out a way to better manipulate our actions. Does that make sense? And we try to manipulate the actions and figure out a way to make us do better but not handle the underlying issue. So let's, let's be honest and chat just for a second, all right? You know why we don't read the Bible? Here's why we don't read the Bible. The reason that you don't read the Bible is not that you're not disciplined enough. The reason that you don't read the Bible is not that you don't understand it. The reason that you don't read the Bible is not those things. The reason that you don't read the Bible is because you genuinely don't believe that God is truly the greatest treasure in the universe and you just want to know him more deeply so you'll find time to do it. That's the truth. Uh, you know why we don't pray? The truth is, the reason that we don't pray is because in our hearts, honestly, we don't feel like we need God that much. So we don't pray. Now, when the junk hits the fan and things go crazy and you get that uh, life-altering moment, we hit our knees and we pray. But, but when that moment isn't coming, the reason that we're not constantly in an attitude of prayer and dependence on God is because at our base level, we don't feel like we need him that much. We got it. Right? The reason that we don't forgive is not because they haven't said they're sorry enough, not because they haven't shown themselves to be repentant enough. At the end of the day, the reason we don't forgive is because we do not truly understand how much God has forgiven us, and we believe we have the right to hold that person to that sin and unforgiveness. There's a foundational truth that drives your actions. And if all we do is try to jump over the mind and the heart, just like they were doing in Titus 1, jump over that and get to do the things, it doesn't work. Which is why the Apostle Paul and Titus is taking the entire first third of the book to say, no, no, we'll get to what you need to do. But first is this, what do you really believe about God? What do you really think about God? 
I'll, I'll tell you how this worked for me. Just this week, as a matter of fact. Um, so, Monday morning, I wake up and I, uh, I sat before the Lord in, in, in my time with the Lord Monday morning. And I said, okay, God, um, no matter what happens today, no matter what happens, I do not want to respond in any situation as frustrated. Nothing. As I just said that before, God, I said, God, I do not want to respond frustrated to anything that happens today. I want to be at peace. I want to be led of your spirit. I don't want to respond in frustration to anything that happens. I'm just going to be at peace. And by lunch, you know what I did? Totally messed that up. Like blew it to pieces. I'm like, oh, oh, man. Okay, so what did I do? I said, okay, God, I'm sorry. It was sin. I'm serious this time. Like, I am not. I am not going to respond frustrated. I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. So I wake up Tuesday, same thing. All right, God, I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm not going to respond frustrated to anything that happens, any response of people, anything that someone does. I'm not going to respond that way. I'm going to respond at peace in all things. Yes and amen. I did it again. Like, oh, you've got to be kidding me right now. So then Wednesday morning, I'm up. And uh, before the kids got up, before they had to get them up for school or whatever, so Marie and I are drinking coffee, we're talking, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling her this, like, this is my prayer, this is what happened, and man, I just keep doing it, and so I'm really serious this time. I'm telling the Lord, I'm not going to do this this time. She looks at me, and she said, so you already have the past two days of promising God you're never going to do that, and, and then you did it. So what makes you think today is not going to be the exact same thing? Because I really mean it? She said, what's the underlying lie, what's the underlying truth that you're not truly believing and walking in that's causing you to act frustrated? And I'm like preparing to preach this message, and I look at her and go, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, well, you should probably go pray about that. So I did, and um, come to find out, she was right. Um, so, so as I'm sitting before the Lord, what God really revealed to me was this. The reason that I kept responding frustrated was because I had an idea of how something was going to go. Right? This is how it's going to work. I'm going I'm to say this. They're going to respond like that, and it's all going to go according to my plan. Right? right? I'm going to say this. They're going to say that. We're all happily ever after. But then I walk in, I say this, and they're all over here. Right? Like they're not, they're not doing the thing they're supposed to be doing. No, 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 no. Like, you're not paying attention. I say this, you say that. That was my plan, right? They weren't doing that. And what God showed me was this. At the end of the day, the reason that I'm responding frustrated is because I am not trusting that God is truly sovereign over all things, including them not responding the way that I think they should. At the end of the day, it's not a, I need to do better at not being frustrated. I need to bite my tongue. I need to count to three. I need to take a breath. That, that's, the, that's that behavior modification stuff. It, it's a new version of circumcision. Right? Just physically make yourself do this thing, then it'll work. 
But the truth is, there was a deeper foundation about God that I was not walking in. Now, do I believe God is sovereign? Of course. Would I say that I trust that God is sovereign? Yes. But what I realized was, in those moments, I was not walking in that truth. Does that make sense? If I really believed and really walked in the fact that God is sovereign over all things, including someone's sinful response, God is really sovereign over all things, including that, I wouldn't have to lose my mind and get frustrated. Because I trust God. What brings peace is not them responding the way that I think they should. What brings peace is that I trust God even when they don't. Now, them responding in a way that's not appropriate may require a conversation, may require being looking going, hey, look, that, that's not the right way to respond to that. Like, that, that's perfectly fine. Maybe those conversations need to be had. But if I was really trusting in the sovereignty of God, I would walk in peace. And this is how it works. How we bear out good fruit, how we walk out the fruits of righteousness, is from thinking rightly about God and believing truth about God. When we think wrongly or we believe ineptly, that's when bad fruit starts to bear out. This is the whole point of the book of Titus. Look, there are good works that God wants you to do. But in order for you to bear out those good works, you have to think rightly about God and believe rightly about God. Uh, in fact, even just today, my wife is going to be starting up a Bible study for some of our teenage girls, uh, um, and, and, and it's all going to be based on this very thing, right? Lies that young women tend to believe. And so there are these foundational lies that end up driving us to do these actions. And the problem is we focus on the action and go, well, you need to stop doing that action. And we try to get them to quit doing that. This is, this is parenting 101. We try to get them to quit doing the action when the problem is there's a foundational lie that has not been dealt with. And if that's not dealt with, they're going to keep figuring out a way to do the thing. Does that make sense? And so for these young ladies today, right? I mean, like whatever it is, fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is for a, a teenage young adult girl that you would think would be an issue or a strife or a problem, whatever, it would be, you know, sexual immorality or, or um, uh, eating disorders, things like that. We totally mess this thing up when we just focus on the action. Well, why, do you, why are you so concerned about how you look? You look great. You're great. What's the problem? Don't do that. You're fine. Does that fix it? No. Not at all. Not slightly in the least. Why? Because there's a foundational lie that's driving the action. What we must do is uproot the lie, plant a seed of truth, Water that with the word of God and then believe by faith that good works, fruit of good works is going to bear out. So what about you? Are you believing the truth about who God is and who he says you are? I'm going to ask our band to come up and, and, and as they do, I want to read this verse that we started with again. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Look at it one more time. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Look at it again. 
Does it say your actions will set you free? No. Does it say what you do will set you free? No. What sets you free? You knowing the truth. Knowing the truth of who Jesus is. Knowing the truth of what he said about you. Knowing the truth of what's true of you because of Jesus. Why do we focus so much on truth? Why do we focus so much on teaching? Because we don't want you to be held by lies. We don't want you to be held by the lie that if you do good things, then God will love you. We don't want you to be held by the lie that God is gracious and loving and forgiving. So you can do whatever you want. He's going to forgive you. It's no big deal. We don't want you to be held by these lies. So, by God's grace, we just want to proclaim the truth. Here's who God is. And as you see who God is, you're drawn to him and you love him and you desire him and you pursue him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. And I want to, I want to pray for us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, the greatest need you have is not attending this church. And the greatest need you have is not just reading your Bible. And the greatest need you have is not stopping the bad things and starting the good things. Now, all of that stuff that we would want you to do, we want you to attend, and we want you to read your Bible, and we want you to stop bad things, and we want you to start good things. Those are all great. But on its foundation, the greatest need you have is to ask Jesus Christ to take away your heart of stone and to give you his heart of flesh. You are a rebel against God. You were born into that rebellion, and you are living that rebellion. You may not be as bad as some other guy. You may be trying harder to do better than this other person. But at the end of the day, you still possess a rebellious heart against God. And the greatest need you have today is to follow in your face right here and now and say, Jesus Christ, I know that you died for my sin, and I know that you rose again. And I ask you, Jesus, take away my rebellious heart and give me a heart that loves you. I need you. That is your greatest need today, and I pray that you would do that. That is your step into truth being honest about who you are, a rebel against God, being honest about who God is, a loving, gracious God who desires to save you from your sin. And Jesus is your sacrifice. Trust by faith in him and let him make you new. Say today, Jesus, I know that I'm a rebel. Forgive me of my sins. Take away my rebellious heart and give me a heart that loves you. I need you. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, Is there a lie you're believing? Is there a lie that's driving your action or inaction? It is the truth that sets you free. Again, John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is a part of discipleship. Part of being a follower of Christ is continuously checking your heart for any lies that are creeping in and continuously diving deeper into the truth of who God says he is.
It's a continual process. I'm doing it. You're doing it. But we need to do it. Search your hearts. Ask God to reveal to you any lie that you're believing, any truth that you're not walking in. Confess that. God, I pray for us today, probably foundational in everything, is that we just need to confess our absolute, total, complete, utter need of you. We are lost and helpless apart from you. We need you. And I ask you, Jesus, that that truth become real in us right here, right now. That is foundational. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We've got to stop depending on our own flesh, our own strength, our own abilities. We need you. So I pray, God, right now, the truth of our absolute, desperate, utter need for you will be cemented into our hearts right now. And that will be the foundation on which good fruit can bear out. Do this in us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Stand, guys. Let's end our time worshiping together. You're welcome to come forward and pray if you'd like. You can pray where you are. Just spend some time worshiping the Lord. But let's take some time right now setting our hearts on our desperate, desperate need of Jesus.
Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you that we can come to you. God, how great is it that we can confess our need for you and you never turn us away. So I pray, God, that that's, that is our heart's cry today, not just something that we sing, but is our heart's cry that we need you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a seat for me, if you will, just for a moment. Just uh, real quick before we get out of here. If you are a guest with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, Best way we can connect with you is simply through your cell phone. You just text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT, and uh, that's the best way for us to just know who you are and how we can minister to you in the best way possible. But for everyone here, we've got our big three announcements. We want everyone to know three things that uh, will help everyone be plugged in with what's going on. One, our military ministry is having a social today, five o'clock, having dinner. If you are active duty, veteran, spouse, any branch, whatever, uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. Uh, That's five o'clock today. Uh, If you haven't signed up, you still can. Uh, We'd love to have you come be a part of that. That's today at 5 o'clock in our FLC. Second, Halloween. I mentioned Halloween to you. If you want to sign up for that, you can text the word Halloween to our number, 910-424-1298. And again, next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service, we'll have a meeting in the FLC to walk through that, answer any questions. And then lastly, our joy group, that's our senior adult group, they're going to be meeting on October 11th at 1130 for lunch. And so if you fit into that category, now there is an age I'm supposed to throw out, but I'm not going to do that. If you feel like you're in that group, there I have a meeting, uh, lunch, 1130. It's a phenomenal group to be a part of. I can't encourage you more highly to be there. I'm going to be there. Come hang out with us just for some lunch and encourage one another. Uh, That's our senior adult ministry, the joy group that is going to be this uh, uh, October 11th at 1130. Don't forget that. And then for any other announcements, everything that's going on, you can download our app, iTunes or Google Play. You can find a group online. You can find sermons online, sermon notes online. You can also give either online through the app or in the giving boxes, whatever works best for you. Go ahead and do that. We would really, really appreciate it. All right. I love you guys. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, God, that your truth sets us free. I pray, Lord, that we would be people of the truth and that we would give ourselves to your truth and we would allow your truth to to set us free and empower us to live lives that bring you glory, bearing good fruit. Do this in us, God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great day.